Thank you, Erica. Thank you for being with us today at Masters of CX. Uh, it's so good to have you here with us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, so I just wanted to try like a new format uh, with you today. Uh, so just ask you three questions to get this conversation started. Um, the first one being, uh, what was the last book or last podcast you listened to uh, that had a big impact on, on you? Um, wow, um, I love to read. I've read a couple of books recently. I, you know, I've read um, The Adaptation Advantage, which was an interesting one. That was all about um, kind of how we have to change and, and keep up with everything. I mean, we we are, the world we live in is changing faster now than it ever has. And yet it's probably the slowest that it will be <laughs> for the rest of our lives. So the pace of change is just like, it's crazy. So that book talks about like how we have to adapt and keep up and, and not be so fixed on our identity and, and kind of what's gotten us here. And we should be looking for those kind of characteristics, um, looking for employees as we're hiring and building our teams that can adapt as well. So that was an interesting one. I read a really interesting leadership book recently called Turn the Ship Around. And that was about a um, retired Navy captain who, he tells the story about how he took one of the worst performing nuclear submarines in the, the whole entire Navy and turned it into um, the highest performing. And it was really the highest performing across all, all measures. Um, and so he talks about how he, how he did that. I thought that was an interesting one to get a little bit of the story. Of course, I love a good story, but he's very practical with, um, with that. And then another book that I read recently was The Customer Success Economy by Nick Mehta and uh, Allison Pickens. And I loved that one because it's just so practical. Um, you know, there's a chapter really focused on each functional group in that book. And I love it because it, it gives really concrete ideas about how each functional group needs to be thinking about their area of the business and how it impacts customer success. Um, I've actually recommended that to our leadership team at my company uh, as a good book to read and perhaps um, discuss across the board. Definitely. This one, yeah, this one was one uh, that uh, my colleagues in, at Chattermill just started discussing as well. So it's definitely awesome. a really interesting one. Uh, cool. Great to hear. Uh, but yeah, the second question is, uh, I'd love to uh, hear like about people or companies in the CX space, like, or com like companies, CX initiatives that you've recently admired a lot, yeah. Well, you know, a couple that come to mind, Southwest Airlines, I miss traveling, I miss flying them, I miss, you know, um, I see a plane coming in landing um, at the airport here at Southwest, it kind of gets me excited and gives me a little nostalgia for, for the, the good old days when, you know, when we could take trips. Um, but I, I think Southwest Airlines just across the board, they, they have their customer in mind at every point throughout the journey. Um, the, the employees that they have, whether they're ticketing agents or gate agents or, you know, flight attendants, they're all just so pleasant to deal with. And, you know, they have the, the app that makes any transaction you might need to have with the organization super easy. And they, they just, I think they do a very 
good job, but, but it's also good because it's consistent, right? I know what to expect every single time I step on Southwest Airlines flight. And, and I think that that's really important. Um, so that's a big one. Um, you know, I had a recent interaction with Discover Card uh, as well that I thought, wow, they're, they're doing really well. First of all, fortunately, I don't have to interact with them very often. It's great. I don't want to have to call a credit card company and, and go through all the hoops to, to take care of anything. But um, there was some fraudulent activity on my card and they sent me a text message and had me call a number. And, and it was honestly the easiest thing um, to close down my, you know, my credit card. And, you know, three or four days later, I received my, my new card with a new number in the mail. And um, they were just absolutely easy to work with, right? So crisis averted, everything's fine. But, um, you know, I thanked the, the person that I spoke with there because, you know, wow, you, you made this so easy. I wasn't looking forward to calling you at all. Um, but it, it was just the easiest experience I could have imagined for something like that. Yeah, I can't imagine. It's like so rare to find like an experience like that where you can just like, without any hassle, without any annoyance, like deal with these problems, yeah. Yep. Super cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, the third one is more around like learning and more about you, like what, are, what your strengths are and everything. What are the type of activities in your day-to-day -day and your job that give you the most energy? Um, interesting. So That is a really good question. I love um, almost a little bit of controlled chaos throughout my day. That that really tends to give me energy, right? Um, the more that I have going on, the you know I think the more I enjoy my day, but also the more productive I feel. Like I feel like at the end of the day, man, I got a lot done. I got a I got my game plan mapped out for tomorrow. Um, you know. I love interacting with people as well. And I'm normally a remote employee. So this whole, you know, shift to remote for COVID didn't really change my day-to-day -day a whole lot, but I do really enjoy interacting with, with my colleagues. <laughs> um, you know, I love the, I love getting on zoom with them, catching up. Um, you know, and that's probably something I miss a little bit from actually going into an office. Um, but, but I don't, you know, I'm not advocating for more meetings. I don't need any more meetings. Right. But, um, on the unusual days where I don't have any meetings, I do get to a point in the day where I notice my energy is starting to, to lag. And, you know, at that point in the day, maybe I'll, you know, chat, chat up a coworker or I have to get up and go for a walk or, or something to kind of re-energize myself so I can, um, you know, focus, focus on my work for the rest of the day. Um, those are the kinds of things I love. I, I love also kind of helping people learn right now. I'm leading an experience engineering initiative, uh, with our organization. So I'm working with a number of colleagues, uh, that represent a bunch of our different centers of excellence and I'm helping them learn about a couple of things. So Leslie Oflahaven's, you know, writing in plain language concept is a big one. Uh, and also, you know, the, the effortless experience, it's a great book. They have a whole chapter about this experience engineering concept. So we're going through that and um, we're learning about advocacy statements and 
positive language and alternative positioning, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and then we're taking a look at where are the scenarios within our business that we can apply some of those principles? Um, where are the places that our support colleagues get stuck? Where do they have, you know, where do they end up telling clients no? Or where do they end up kind of having to explain their way out of a situation where perhaps out of the gate, we could just set them up for success a little bit better. Um, so we're really working on that. And, and that's a fun project. I, I love it because I'm getting to share some things that I've done in my past life at, at other companies with, with this group of people. And we're taking a fresh look at it and figuring out, you know, where are the, you know, where are the impactful places that we, we can apply some of these things um, to make some good change for our company and the experience that our clients have when they're interacting with us. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I love this. I love this question because it just uh, points out like very like small intricacies of that we all have, right? Uh, and it's so interesting how everyone is different and how that helps us like become more self-aware, right? Sometimes we just need to hear people people's uh, answers first to realize what the answer is for ourselves, and yeah, that's what I find really interesting. Awesome. So now <laughs> let's just dive into the the good stuff. Let's just go into into CX and. Uh, I love to start with the macro, like uh, big picture topics that everyone has a, a take on. Uh, and uh, yeah, just lovely to hear about more like, what do you think customer centricity means? And what, what is customer experience? What's a connection to, to a customer centric culture? And uh, yeah, how do you define it for yourself? Yeah, I think customer centricity is really putting the customer at the center of everything you and your company does. So we need to be thinking about how are we, you know, how, what are our customers' problems? How are we helping to solve those problems? Are we involving our customers when it comes to making decisions? Are we guessing? Um, and are we listening to them at, at every point in the journey? So I think it's important to understand you know, the world that they live in and what kind of problems they encounter every day and, and how our service and product offerings fit into that. If we don't really understand our client, we're not gonna understand their problems, we're not gonna solve them successfully. So I think that that's kind of uh, key. One example, um, one of my first projects when I joined my current company was leading a customer research project to really dive in and, and understand what support attributes were most important to our clients. And I think the initial reaction across our organization was like, you know, hey, we're not gonna learn anything that's surprising. We, we already know what our clients want. Um, and that turns out to only have been partially true. So yes, that, that, that research project confirmed some things that we believed and we conducted our, our, our research in a pretty scientific way that gave us some quantitative um, data as well. So we could actually rank and prioritize the, the different support attributes. But it turns out that there were a number of things that we hadn't thought about that clients actually valued more than the things we thought they valued. <laughs> so if we would have focused on the things that we believed um, without asking our clients, we'd probably be working on the wrong things, or maybe not the wrong things, we, we just wouldn't be, we would miss an opportunity. We wouldn't be working on the things that are most impactful and most important to our clients. So I think that's a good example of customer centricity. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think it's, uh, 
it's always interesting, right? Like how how limited uh, our view of customers can be as well. You know, uh, that's why the scientific method, as you said, is is the the way to go about mm -hmm. it. So, couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, like looking at continuing customer centricity and. It's really interesting for our audience to learn more about uh, how to go about building a customer-centric culture in an early stage organization or if an uh, 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 organization already has one, how do you go about scaling it, right? So how do you get the people in your company that take that make these decisions, how do you get them bought in to this idea of making every decision uh, focused on the customer first and uh, investing in, in the processes that allow us to do that systematically and, and successfully. Yeah, so you talk about a smaller organization and, and I've had the pleasure to work for a couple of startups over the course of my career. A lot of fun. Um, in fact, one of my first startups, I was probably employee number 10. We were tiny. We didn't have a ton um, of a large customer base. And the way we kind of worked is like, if I, if I uncovered a bug or a defect or an enhancement, I would literally walk down to the uh, developers and say, hey, I think we need to do this. And um, often their response was, oh, well, no, you can just train around that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, you know, with, with that whole mindset of you can just train around that, it might work for like one or two things. But eventually, you know, it's death by a thousand paper cuts, right? If, if you're having to train around everything, <laughs> it, it really becomes a hassle for the client, right? So, you know, obviously that didn't, <laughs> that wasn't the way we operated as, as we grew. We added a lot of process and, and rigor to our, to our um, operating processes and our whole, you know, product roadmap. But um, I think I think that the the concept is similar, right? You have to help your organization really understand, um, you know, not only that specific problem and how how that's impacting your clients' lives, but how that fits into the bigger picture, right? Like, how do the sum of all these little things, um, all these little points in the journey, how do they all add up and and really impact the client? And is that overall positive, or is that overall like negative um right we want we want interacting with our organization to be easy we want interacting with our products to be easy um you know so it's really trying to help your organization understand that now the way you get them to understand that is probably a little bit different um depending on the size and structure of your organization but you know what works really well is data <laughs> data can help you tell a story. So um, at one of my former companies, you know, I was leading the support department and, you know, I, I would literally kind of keep a running total of, or stack rank. Like this week we got X number of cases. Here are the top five case reasons we got, you know, we X, you know, we got 30 about this, 300 about this, right? That kind of thing. So I'd kind of like, Pareto it all out. And I'd go and I'd sit down with our um, product folks and really help them understand, you know, by solving these top three buckets, we can improve the customer's experience with our organization, make it easier for them to use the product and save ourselves some money in the long run because clients won't have to contact us about these things. Um, so we were able to kind of really chip away at a lot of the recurring reasons customers had to contact us by, by looking at it that way. Um, 
you know, another thing that's worked really well, having the having people from different parts of the organization sit with the client facing people to really hear, you know, what transpires when you're interacting with a customer, they hear, you know, um, they hear what clients like, they hear what clients don't like. I had a developer one time who came and sat with some of the, the support um, employees and they immediately went back to their desk and were like, all right, we got to we gotta change some things. So um, that's one way to do it. Uh, I, I shared earlier the example of the research project that I did with my current company. That um, the, the output of that was a white paper. So we summarized all of our findings in a white paper and um, my boss and I circulated that broadly across our organizations. Like we did this whole little virtual tour. We'd show up at people's team meetings and we talked through, you know, what we learned and not only what we learned, but how we want to apply it. And so, you know, here we are almost 12 months later, people across our organization are still referring to that white paper and they're still using it as a, as a basis to make decisions. They're still, um, you know, understanding the, the things that are most important to our clients. And, and that's, you know, slowly starting to make its way out across the organization. Um, but, but that's okay, right? I'm, I'm glad we're moving. I'm glad, I'm glad folks are really starting to understand the customer's point of view and um, really rallying behind that because that's how we all win. And it does, it takes some time. It's not an immediate change. Um, so we're making really good progress there just by doing that, doing that study and publishing the information in a way that, that's easily digested by folks across our organization. Super cool. Yeah, I love uh, a few comments that you, that you noted there. Like, absolutely. Uh, first of all, customer experience is a long-term strategy, right? Uh, people want sometimes like quick ROI on that investment and it's, it doesn't work like that. But once you realize that it is a long-term investment, you start to realize that there are few that give you as much return as a good customer experience program or strategy or um, building that culture, right? Investing in building that culture. And yeah, absolutely. And the content is fantastic. Again, uh, it just proves that uh, data can like leverages everything and we can solve a lot of problems with data. Like the next question that we that I was planning to get into was this idea of the challenges of building, right? Which uh, I believe data can fix a lot. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about how data can fix the problems inherent in scaling and building your customer-centric culture within any organization. But also I'd love to hear as well about other types of issues that you see, like that might be systematic, that might be uh, people-oriented or whatever other angles you think are more problematic. Yeah, let's maybe talk about the, the people aspect first, right? People don't love change. Is is you know, I think I mentioned earlier, change is happening at a pace faster now than it ever has, and yet slower than it ever will be for the rest of our lives. Um, but but there are a lot of folks that don't like change. Um, you know, you, we we all tend to cling to what's familiar and comfortable and known. The things that that are unknown are a little bit scary, right? And so sometimes implementing um, CX initiatives really can be a little a little unknown or a little scary or, you know, what's really wrong with the way we're doing it right now, right? Um, clients, 
clients know that when they contact us, this is this is the experience that they're going to have, right? And it it might not be the optimal experience. It might not even be a great experience. But you know what is really so bad about <laughs> about what we're doing now? So I think that um, you know with any kind of transformation initiative that that you're launching, that whole change management, you've got to have a solid framework for for managing that change. And I think a lot of it really starts with helping helping folks understand why, you know, why is this important? Um, and, and really, you know, helping them really see and understand what life is going to be like once we kind of navigate through some of these changes that we're trying to make, right? Like here's, here's um, well, I'll give you an example that experience engineering initiative that I'm working on, right? So we're, we're trying to maybe reframe the way we say certain things to our clients, right? Like we don't want to tell them we can't do this or we won't do it, or this isn't our best practice, right? There's better ways we can come up with saying that. But, you know, I think one is we need to help people understand why we could say that differently. What kind of outcomes are we, are we um, hoping for? But let, let's give you a preview of, of what that's going to look like for you when you're interacting with a client as we're, as we're driving this change, right? You know, I think once they can really start to imagine themselves <laughs> in situations that, that are a little bit different and they can see it and, and realize it's not so scary and there actually might be a, a, an upside, um, you know, in a lot of cases, we're going to have happier clients or clients are going to contact us less. Um, there's just, you know, there's a whole string of, of potential benefits. Um, you've, you've really got to manage that change aspect carefully. Um, and, and that takes a lot of also accountability and reinforcement. And, you know, there, there's a number of different um, things that you need to factor into your change management strategy. But I, but I think the, the people part um, is is tricky. You can implement technology. You can you can put processes in place, but you've got to get your your people on board with those things too. And they're only going to be as as good as um, you know the people who are interacting with those tools and processes allow them to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, like to reach your customers, if you also don't have your people, uh, like having that all the right mental models, you're never going to be customer centric, right? I think. Uh, through various conversations in this podcast, I think we uncovered this pattern that like employee experiences, if not before, is like right there with uh, yeah. customer experience, it right? You, is. right? Yeah, it's like a chicken and egg. Which one do you work it is. first? You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and uh, now like just continuing in this in this topic of uh, general customer centricity. Uh, it's, I think it's really interesting to look at COVID and how COVID has affected companies and forced them to uh, innovate in creative ways and how they deal with customers. Uh, and I just like to, to pick your brain about any interesting examples that uh, you've noticed throughout 2020 and recently uh, that has really like, that you really admire, right? Like these, uh, we've seen amazing companies change and pivots like to well, completely different business models sometimes and just adapt and uh, survive. And I think that's very admirable and it deserves uh, deserves a lot of recognition. And I think this conversation is indispensable for anyone now, like as we're still through uh, through this period trying to survive, like how, how can companies uh, take inspiration from previous examples and innovate? 
Yeah. So I think one thing that I've noticed is COVID's really accelerating some of the things companies should have been doing all along, or, you know, maybe they had on their to-do list, but it didn't surface as a high priority. Um, and I think a lot of that kind of has come with uh, an increased focus on how do we make it super easy for our customers? You know, we, we want there to be no barriers, right? Um, we want it to be super easy. We want clients to feel like they can interact with our, our organizations without any kind of risk. Um, restaurants, I think most of them are on board with it now, but I, I love that they've you know, moved to this online ordering and curbside pickup model. Really hope that stays around in a post-COVID world um, because it's so easy, um, super easy. Um, and I think the same idea, so I'm in the B2B software as a service world, and I think a lot of the same ideas hold true there, right? Companies are just um, really focused on, on making it easy and, and making sure that their customers are getting the most out of the technology that they've invested in. And, and part of that probably comes a little bit with most companies are increasingly, you know, focus on budget right now. They don't want to spend any more money. They want to make sure they're getting the most out of what they, um, they've, they've already spent money on. Um, and I think this is always, it's always important. It's always important to make sure your, your customers are getting the ROI from your product. But I think even now, so more than ever, you know, we have to make sure we're focused on helping our customers achieve a return on investment. Um, you know, a lot of our growth might come from that more so than the new logo sales right now too, who knows, but, but we do know, um, and I think we saw this a lot at the beginning of the pandemic when companies were really reevaluating their budgets and what they're spending, you know, if they look at your product, if your product's on their list and they, they're like, well, what value are we getting from it? They're not getting much value. They're going to cancel it. Right. So Next time budget cuts roll around, you're you're on the chopping block. So you really got to be invested in that. Um, but yeah, I think you know companies are really maybe moving a little bit more because that's all kind of out there and accelerating again some of the things that they should have been doing all along. They're really having to become um, moving from reactive to more proactive and prescriptive and even predictive. Um, you know, so I think we need to really focus on no matter what kind of company you're in, are we helping clients achieve the outcomes they expect? And what is that experience like for them? Um, probably one other thing I think of right now that's super important is just the whole idea of empathy. We are living in some hard times. Nothing is normal. I think there's a lot of current events that, that cause our anxiety to run high. You know, we haven't seen as many family or friends. We're not doing our normal things. You know, parents are dealing with their kids trying to learn virtually. Patience is running thin across the board. And, and I think that's probably likely on both sides of any kind of interaction. Um, so I really, I really have been thinking about empathy a lot because a little bit of kindness and empathy gets more kindness and empathy. And so when we interact with someone, we, have, we, we can't assume that we know what kind of day they're having. We can't assume we know what their anxiety level is that day. But instead, what we should do is just try to make a small deposit of empathy and kindness. Um, I think that, that that's just really <laughs> the, the human thing to do right now. For sure. For, yeah, I think 
one of the gifts like that we can extract from the situation uh, is uh, this lesson around empathy, right? Like if this doesn't teach us to be more empathetic with others and also with ourselves, like yeah. what else do we expect to learn mm -hmm. to learn it from, right? right? Absolutely. No, and thank you for for the answer. I think yeah, changes to the to the leisure sector as a whole has been uh, astounding, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the ones that experienced the most uh, from the menus that are digital as well now with our phones and everything, things that we are now loving, right? And from a from a customer experience standpoint, it's fantastic. Uh, and yeah, and the B two B the B two B sector is is fascinating as well. Uh, I think we've seen this uh, proliferation of product like growth around a lot of SaaS companies as well. Mm -hmm. This idea of self serve and getting value instantly, I think that won't stop. And I think it helps. It's very it's very uh, value add for the consumer. So, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for that. Yeah, just uh, in that in that uh, area of tools now as well, like talking about companies, but their tools specifically, it would just be great to uh, hear from you. Like, what type of features do you look for in tools, and uh, what what makes a tool stand out for you that allows you to keep using it uh, month in month out? You know, like always, uh, well, sticking to a specific tool over the long run. Mm, yeah, I think. One, you know, what kind of tools do we need? I think it depends on your business and, and what are you trying to accomplish. Um, but I would say you got to go for the best tool that you can you can get, right? <laughs> um, so identify what are the, you know, what's your business case? What do you need a tool to solve? Um, and then, you know, look for the, the vendors who can deliver on that. And even if you can't get the exact tool you want, maybe your budget's a little smaller than, <laughs> than what you would need to, to purchase the best. But I do think you can always find a way to get it done. Um, so I think, you know, last year, here's an example, we were, we were pursuing um, budget for a survey platform. And it was right around the, the start of COVID when we were going into cost savings mode, just like every business was at the time. And there was kind of some doubt, you know, will we get, will we get our business case approved here or, or won't we? But we had, um, you know, we had a voice of the customer program that we needed to get launched, right? Like that was an important thing for, for um, my part of the business to, to deliver. Um, fortunately, we got the tool that we wanted, right? And, and the tool is a powerful tool. You ask what kinds of things are important. Um, can it do what we need it to do today? and what we might need it to do, you know, three to five years from now. Uh, if we're investing in a tool, we're, we're not only investing money, we're investing time, we're changing processes, we're bringing colleagues on board with how to use the tool. So, um, you know, I think we have to look at what, what are our short-term needs and what, are, what might our long-term needs be as well. Um, and then I, I look at, you know, what kind of, um, how easy is it to use, right? We don't want to purchase a tool that is going to be a heavy lift, right? I don't want to spend all my days trying to figure out how to configure and, and get it to do what I need it to do. It needs to be pretty easy to use. Um, and, you know, what, what's the reporting capability like? Like what kind of data and insights am I going to be able to get um, and act upon because I'm using this tool. So that's always an important thing. So the survey tool has a nice AI component that we're loving because it's really helping us to 
discover relationships that we might not have come across on, on our own. You know, we're not statisticians. We might dabble in that a little bit, but that's not, it's definitely not my area of expertise. So, so you know, I, I appreciate um, that the tool we ended up going with is, is really making it easy for us to discover relationships and, and, and figure out, you know, how do we take this, this feedback that we're getting and really make it actionable. Definitely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, now it'd be great to just uh, get a bit more personal and talk about you, uh, where you come from and what led you to CX. How did you get your start in the, in the industry and uh, like all the inflection points that led you to where you are today. And uh, talk about also the, the, your focus on healthcare as well. Uh, so what, what led you to healthcare specifically and how do you see customer experience in healthcare being different than other industries? Yeah, so that is a big question you just asked. Um, yeah, I've actually worked for software as a service companies serving the healthcare space for most of my career. Um, I think I, I really just kind of fell into it. At one point, very early in my career, I had worked at a doctor's office and really discovered there were certain things I, I enjoyed about healthcare, but I did not want to be working in a doctor's office, um, at least not in the capacity that I was. And I, I really started um, to enjoy the technology side of it. So I, I started looking around, um, you know, who were the, I didn't want to work at any large company at that point. I was really hoping to find a startup. Um, I, you know, went to a small school and I, I ended up, um, you know, thinking that a startup might be might be a good way to um, really be able to wear many hats, influence the organization, make an impact and, and really grow in my career. Um, plus, like I, I mentioned earlier, I kind of like some controlled chaos. So the frenetic get it way, you know, get it done way of a startup. Like it just, it was a great fit for me. Um, so fortunately I, I found this little startup. Um, it was actually a patient portal company and I did it, I did a little bit of everything there. Um, like I wanted to, right? I was hired to, to kind of be the customer facing person very early in my career. So I did, you know, some implementation, some training. I did what's now known as customer success and making sure that we were driving adoption and identifying opportunities for expansion revenue, uh, making sure our clients were getting what they expected from, from the technology and, um, you know, supporting it as well. Um, I really had to figure it all out though. There was no guide, no process, no training. I mean, like I said, I was employee number 10, probably the first person in that role within my organization. So then as our company grew, I was able to grow along with it, you know, build the team. I moved into um, a, a formal leadership role. Uh, and eventually we got big enough that we separated the, the key functions. We had support, implementation, account management. And I ended up kind of going down the implementation or professional services route, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then later I ended up leading support, which was actually, I thought, even more fun because I was, was able to help um, lead a, a critical service delivery transformation in the support side of things. Um, and I loved it because I learned so much about growing a company, building a team, delivering service, and just keeping pace with change. Um, and I, I've worked at a couple of startups, um, love the startup mindset. I love the energy behind it. And, and right now I'm actually at a, a much bigger uh, software as a service company in the healthcare space, but I'm actually 
leveraging a, a lot of my startup skills um, to help drive some customer experience transformation, which is a lot of fun. So I think I'm at I think I'm at a point in my career where um, you know I, I like being able to take the entrepreneurial lessons and, and skills that I've developed over the course of um, you know earlier in my career and really put them to work at a larger organization where where we can influence some change and um, really help a company you know, transform the way that they're, they're interacting with clients and the whole experience that they're delivering. Sure, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with the idea of uh, how uh, working in a startup helps you in many different roles and I hope it does help in many different phases in one's career. Uh, yeah, you just learn how to be resourceful in different ways. You just learn uh how to how to like teach yourself things as well which is not a skill that mm -hmm. is prioritized yeah. right and yeah different organ different types yeah that's Absolutely. right and there's no such thing as that's not my job because exactly you know, we're, exactly we're all pitching in <laughs> to get it done um so yeah you do what has to be done or yeah <laughs> or you don't survive basically right. yeah simple <laughs> yeah absolutely uh yeah so i just like to dive deeper into that uh, idea of like how is customer health, uh, customer experience in the healthcare industry different? Uh, is there a, a specific way customer experience is delivered or planned in in a customer in a healthcare company, or do you follow the same framework? Or what what can, for example, what can other sectors learn from a, a specific a specific type of strategy that's employed in your in your company? Yeah, I well, healthcare here in the United States is complex. Um, and has a, a lot of challenges. And, you know, we're, we're in the business and, you know, throughout the course of my career, you know, we're providing technology to healthcare providers. So in that regard, it's actually not all that different than what you, you know, any other B2B kind of relationship, right? So we're not necessarily interacting with patients directly. Um, you know, we're, we're providing technology that helps our customers you know, right now collect, collect payment and, and manage the revenue cycle um, from, from, their, from their patients. But I do think that there's a ton of um, opportunity for, you know, customer experience by healthcare providers. So thinking about what, what is that patient's experience going to be like? Um, you know, if you think about it, we're, we're all patients at some point in our lives. You think about... <laughs> You know, you walk into a doctor's office, you, there's all the paperwork, you've got all that, you've got to give your insurance cards, and then you wait, and then you go see the doctor, and the doctor spends, you know, a couple minutes with you, um, you know, that, and, and, and then um, there's referrals that might stem off of that, um, you might be a candidate for surgery, and then that kind of expands into that whole, a whole different part of the patient experience, right? But, but then there's the whole billing and collections aspect of it. Um, I do think that that is an area that is really ripe for some um, customer experience, you know, methodologies, uh, at least here in the United States, when it comes to patient care. Definitely. Yeah, like, I think it's one of those industries where the whole switching cost comes from, in my opinion, customer experience right from your relationship with the doctor to your relationship with the admin side of things and how quickly invoices come and how clear they are and mm -hmm. things like that awesome, uh, right? absolutely and I think uh, software is, is it's already started to disrupt uh, 
that side of things. I still think uh, we're still in the early innings in that side. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I just find it really interesting how how uh, how it works in the in the healthcare industry. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, in not only in the U.S. but in many countries around the world, oh, it's one yeah. of the more <laughs> the complexities. But I think that makes for the excitement as well. The challenge of of solving that for for customers and improve. Does. There's a ton of opportunity there. Awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, just so we can uh, start finishing the conversation, and uh, I'd love to hear more about uh, how you keep uh, ahead of the curve uh, in the customer experience space. Uh, what type of resources do you consume? What type of uh, communities are you part of? And what do you recommend our audience to follow and and to and to read and to listen to to become a better customer experience professional or just more customer centric in whatever role they they employ? Yeah, well, you're making an assumption that I stay ahead of the curve, which is <laughs> generous. No, I I definitely I definitely try to right, um, but like I said, the world's changing so quickly. Uh, I know it's probably been mentioned on your podcast before, but just staying involved with communities like CX Accelerator, connecting with folks there, um, connecting with them in real life at industry conferences. You know, I'm on Twitter. I love, um, you know, the little, I like Twitter because it's so, so consumable, right? It's not, it's short little blurbs, um, links to articles, that kind of thing. So just, you know, kind of curating your, your Twitter feed with, with the thought leaders in the space is really, really important. Um, like I said, I love books. There's a ton of really great books out there in the customer experience space. Like Gene Bliss has written some, Jeff Toyster, of course, Matt Dixon, Shep Hyken. Um, those are the names I think you probably hear over and over again if you ask this question. Um, but, but you know, I, I really like to read anything and everything. And, and I think one thing that helps me is I don't want to be so narrowly focused on content that is just specific to CX. Um, you know, there's so many other things out there that we can learn and apply to the work that we do. Uh, one of my favorite books is a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, and it really talks about the growth mindset. Um, I love that. I think, you know, it's not a CX book per se, but it has so many applicable lessons there. Um, you know, I find it hard to, to consume as many podcasts right now, just because I am not in the car as much, not traveling as much. <laughs> um, when I am, I, I've got a, a continuous role of podcasts, but right now I admit I am probably not great at keeping up um, with that. And then I think also it's really important to take jobs and, and you work on projects where you can learn from the people that you are working with. Um, so I really like to put myself in situations like that. Um, you know, who, who am I learning from? Who am I working around me? Who, who do I have working around me? What can I learn from them? Um, I, th I think um, I try to be a sponge in, in the different folks that I, that I work with. There's always something to learn there. Um, you know, we can be experts at what we do. And, and I certainly think I've got um, a really good background in client facing roles and customer experience, but there's also just so much you can learn from, from people that you work with. And I think throughout the course of my career, um, I've probably taken something with me from nearly everyone I've worked with. And, and I really do believe I'm better for it. 
So um, that's part of it. And then just step outside of your comfort zone, right? That's where growth occurs. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, we like to be comfortable. We like what's familiar, but sometimes we need that little nudge and just jump out there every now and then and, and work on something that's maybe not totally in your wheelhouse, but see what you learn there. So those are the kinds of things that I try to do to, to stay ahead of the curve. <laughs> Amazing. No, definitely. Uh, yeah, I think I think you nailed it. And uh, customer experience is a very multidisciplinary field. Like uh, that's a trend we've noticed in this podcast with talking to amazing people like Jeff and Shep and everything. Mm -hmm. It is like they all they all read uh, very broadly. Mm -hmm. And what you learn from like psychology is very applicable. What you learn from history is very applicable. Um, absolutely. And it's a very clear pattern that we can notice here that some people can see X. Uh, are doing so we, we should emulate it absolutely yeah thank you so much Erica uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to uh, leave our audience with uh, where they can find you or yeah I am on Twitter at ES Mancuso um, I'm on LinkedIn too would love to connect with anybody who's who's interested awesome awesome thank you so much again for your time and for the amazing conversation likewise thank you